welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning. Uh, good to uh, good to see you this morning on this cold, uh, cold rainy morning in George. It's, uh, it's good to be here together and be able to open God's Word this morning. We're back in Genesis chapter 12 today. Genesis chapter 12. Well, this is a is a very important uh, section we've come to uh, dealing with this um, call and promise to Abraham. And this this is really what we find is a key to understanding the unfolding revelation of God's Word, especially as it relates to His redemptive plan uh, in the Scriptures. And uh, we also see that what we have here in chapter 12, the first few verses here in chapter 12, is really the uh, it's introduction to what would we call the Abrahamic covenant. And later in, um, in chapter 15, we'll see that covenant ratified by the Lord given to, uh, given to Abraham. But here we see the promise of that, of that covenant. And it is, uh, it is foundational to the other covenants that we will see uh, later given through the Scripture. We have the, the Mosaic covenant and then the, the land covenant, and uh, often referred to as the Palestinian covenant. And then the Davidic covenant of the king. Uh, and then the new covenant that we, um, that we become part of through faith in Christ. And so it's, uh, it's here we really need to, to, uh, to know what God is doing here as he narrows down on this individual Abram, or would later, name will later be changed to Abraham. And, it, and this promise really uh, helps us to understand s- several questions that uh, a person may have as they approach the Bible, and things like, why is this person, Abraham, so important? You see a lot of references to him, New Testament referring back to him, the Jewish nation, uh, he's such a, a key figure. And then also you could, you, you know, there's the question, um, why is so much of the Old Testament about the nation of Israel? I mean, why, what's so special about them? And then uh, you, it also answers the question is, why uh, are the Jews referred to as God's chosen people? Have you heard that before? Um, and, and there's also the question is, why are those that be, be, believe in Christ, referred to as uh, the, 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 or Abraham being referred to as their father, the father of all who believe. So there's a lot of uh, questions like that that this passage helps us to understand. And the importance to this promise to Abraham is really seen in the amount of information that's uh, given to uh, this man and his um, uh, he, from the time of his call until his death, if you think about it, uh, from Adam 
to Abraham is, a, is about 2,000 years. And uh, a, long, a long period of time, we're t- talking about biblical history. And the scriptures take 11 chapters to cover that, the things that happened over those 2,000 years. Well, from Abraham's call to his death is only about 100 years. And we have from chapter 12 through the end of, uh, end of Genesis, chapter 25, uh, dealing with uh, that 100-year period of time. So about 14, well, it is 14 chapters. And so you can see that the Lord narrows down to this one man, and he's in, the, in the, the recorded history through Moses really slows down too, doesn't it? It gives us a lot more detail about what's happening. And so we see that this plan of God then narrows down giving this promise to this one man that would become a nation, a people that would be a conduit through which God would bring the Messiah, the promised one, and who would bless the whole world, bless all the nations by providing salvation through all to all who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we see that this is a, a significant uh, for us to, to be able to understand what God's doing here. Well, if you go back to chapter 11, you see there really a, kind of setting the stage for what happens in chapter 12. Uh, from verse 10 in chapter 11, you have the genealogy uh, from, the, from Shem to Abraham. And that uh, kind of makes the connection that was left off in chapter 5. You remember chapter 5, that genealogy that, you know, he lived and when, when the son was born and he lived so many years after that and then he died. Well, this picks that up um, in that first part in chapter 5. You have this line that goes from Abraham through, through the line of, of Seth uh, all the way up to Noah. And then here in chapter 11 from verse 10, it picks that back up again with uh, Noah's son Shem and takes us right through to Abraham. So he's, he's really taking care to, to show this link all the way back to Adam. And, uh, you know, in the New Testament, uh, Matthew and Luke will will do that as well, and, and, and Luke especially will, will give the same line going back to Adam. So <clears throat> here we find in this section uh, an interesting um, thing out of that genealogy in verse um, 14 to 16 there. There's this man named Eber that comes up in this genealogy, and he's interesting because it's uh, pretty well... Uh, agreed that from his name the term Hebrew comes, and you've, you've heard the you know the Hebrew language, the Hebrew people. Well, that's from him. From him comes this term, and later in Genesis they'll be referred to. Adam, Abraham, and his family will be referred to as the Hebrews. So coming uh, back from this descendant, well, <clears throat> the first thing we want us to want to notice is the call. Of Abraham, and uh, it's 
important to uh, think about in, in here in chapter 11 from verse 27, we have uh, some information there that really helps us to understand that uh, Abraham was called out of idolatry. Uh, and as we take that together with some other verses. Let's just read, uh, <clears throat> read from verse 27. And we'll, we'll see here that Abraham grew up in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans or the Chaldees. Verse 27, now these are the generations of Terah. Uh, Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Now Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, the Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife of Milcah. Uh, the daughters of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now, by the way, those names are all names from their idolatry, from the, the their primary moon worship. But these are all uh, names related to that, uh, except for, well, possibly Abraham or Abram. But um, in any case, verse 30, Now Sarah was barren, and she had no child. Uh, she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from the Ur of Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And so here we have this uh, record that Abram grew up in this uh, city of Ur, and that... Uh, they started out on this journey and uh, then made it about halfway or so, but then settled down in Haran. And it's the important things for us to realize there is, is if we learn a little bit about this city, is that Abram grew up in a pagan, prosperous uh, city. Uh, that was given to various worshiping of various idols, but the moon, uh, the moon god was, uh, or the worship of the of this moon god was the primary uh, form of worship. There's a there's a quote from uh, the Got Questions uh, uh, webs, website that's worth reading here for you, because it really helps us to uh, to, to get a, a little bit of insight into what it was like for Abram living there in this uh, city of Ur. The Ur of Chaldees was an ancient city that flourished until about 300 B.C. The great ziggurat of Ur was built by Ur-Namu around 2100 B.C. and was dedicated to Nana, the moon god. The moon was worshipped as the power that controlled the heavens and the cycle uh, on earth and life cycle on earth. To the Chaldeans, the phases of the moon represented the natural cycle of birth, growth, decay, and death, and also set the, 
measurement of their yearly calendar. Among the pantheon of Mesopotamian gods, Nana was supreme because he was the source of fertility for crops, herds, and families. Prayers and offerings were offered to the moon to invoke its blessing. And so you can uh, you can see how far uh, the people had come, and it's very much like what we saw last time in the city of Babel, where the built building of this tower and their uh, false worship. But Joshua later gives us some insight into this as well in Joshua 24. And you remember, Joshua's come to the end of his life; he's they're in in the promised land. And he is admonishing the people, the, the Jewish people, to uh, be faithful to God, which we know they didn't. <laughs> but, but he's reminding them that God has been gracious to them. And he's challenging them. In Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3, he says, And Joshua said to the, all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abram and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abram from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many, and I gave him Isaac. And you see there, and also in other places, the emphasis is upon what God did, God's grace, uh, in intervening and bringing about his promise uh, through this man Abram. So as we think about Abram, we're not, we shouldn't have the idea that because he was so, so wonderful that God decided to give the promise to him. We don't really know what Abram was like before. The Bible doesn't tell us any details other than what we, we've read here about um, the fact that he's come from this pagan, uh, they, they become pagan in their worship, serving other gods, they're most likely fairly well off. Um, we see later that they acquire many servants in, in Haran. There's many people that, that come with Abram to, the, to Canaan. And uh, they, their lifestyle was most likely pretty, uh, pretty comfortable. This city had become quite advanced from what the archaeologists have dug up and discovered about Ur. But what we see in chapter 12 is really um, the repetition of the call that was made earlier when Abram was in Ur. Um, if you just read chapter 12, you would think the first time God appeared to Abram was when he was in Haran. But, he, but what we just read, and also in Acts it tells us that um, God actually spoke to him while he was still in Ur of the Chaldeans. Um, and so as you think about this, God called Abram out of this spiritual darkness. And it's just the same way that God calls us unto himself out of our spiritual darkness, out of the, out of the kingdom of Satan's darkness, into the kingdom of of the Lord and through faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross. And so although the the content of what we believe is much more than what Abram would have understood about this the promise 
of the seed that was given all the way back in the Garden of Eden. God could have um, told him quite a bit of things. We don't know what the revelation was. But for sure, Abram did not have the revelation that we do. But he believed. He, he had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the thing I want us to think about is that, that Abraham obeyed the Lord. What God had asked him to do, he did. And the indication is that he did right away. Uh, notice also I want to read for you from Acts chapter 7. Because there Stephen, as he's before the Sanhedrin, they're, they're calling him into question about what he's been teaching and saying. And in Acts 7, he, he has a couple of um, uh, lines of verses about um, Abram that also helps us to, uh, <clears throat> to, to uh, understand what God, uh, what God did. And this is from uh, Acts 7, verse 2. Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of, Ch of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into the land in which you are now living. That last phrase kind of... Uh, Catch my caught my attention because it didn't say you know after they lived in Haran his father died he he uh, God appeared to him again and and he you know went to Canaan no, it said and God removed him <laughs> it almost is like you know God said okay it's time to move <laughs> uh, God made sure that um, Abraham followed him but the emphasis that we see uh, is God's work God's grace. But we also see an emphasis on Abraham's obedience, too, in these uh, passages. Uh, Kent Hughes, in his uh, commentary, makes, uh, makes this note. <clears throat> Abraham's obedience was a monumental act of faith. He was a pagan. He was advanced in years. He was prosperous and settled in his pagan world. He was the only one in his culture who heard God's word. But on the basis of hearing along, he risked everything to follow God. And so <clears throat> that's something I want to point out is that obedience is the response of faith. It's just the normal response. It's not that we are always obedient, but that for us as believers, the normal or the natural response for us as born again believers is obedience. It should be the pattern of our life to obey the Lord. Um, Hebrews 11 also weighs in on, uh, on this because that chapter gives us this definition of faith and shows us examples from the Old Testament of, of, of people who responded to God in faith. And verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. And earlier in chapter one, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so that, that verse there repeats 
in a different wording, the same truth, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I want to read for you a little paragraph from the ESV Study Bible because it said so well, and I, I think it's best if I just quote it for you. It says, and it's talking about this verse 1, this faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the, and the conviction of, of things not seen. And it says, by defining faith as assurance and conviction, the author indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen and has but has been promised by God will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. Thus, biblical faith is not blind trust in the face of contrary evidence, nor an unknowable leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, eternally trustworthy. Well, that's a that's a mouthful, but I think you get the gist of what he's saying here and expounding upon this truth about faith is not seeing the the thing that's promised. You know, literally not seeing. In other words, you're not experiencing it yet. You don't know all all about it yet. But by the eye of faith, you can see it, and your and your hope is grounded in the faithfulness of God. Because God said it, then it is true, and we can rely upon it. And that relates to us in so many ways. It relates to us as it relates to our salvation. It relates to us in, in our obedience to the Lord and following Him. And as you think about it, we have so much more revelation and evidence to believe God's Word than what Abraham did. I mean, Abraham probably had heard about the history from the creation. They probably heard about, um, uh, you know, the beginning and Adam. No doubt he'd, he'd heard about Noah and the flood. But for him, it was probably just another story, like stories he'd heard about other gods and the moon god and and, and all the other pagan ideas that had come in. But when God appears to him and speaks to him, Noah is convinced that this is the true God. And he obeys and he, he follows God. And we can speculate about how that all happened, but we just don't have the details. Possibly... Uh, Abraham Abram convinced his father, uh, Terah, who's now quite old, and he's, we know later he dies in Haran, but he convinces him to go, go with him to Canaan, this land that God's promised. And uh, so evidently, uh, you know, his father believed him, and he and... Um, a lot went with them, but then we know that um, as they're 
journeying, and you can see there, maybe you can see it from how far away you are, that uh, kind of bluish-green line shows the path that they took from, from Ur of the Chaldeans there just below where Babylon is at, and they would have, they would have traveled north, northwest, in what's called the, the Fertile Crescent, uh, because of the desert there, they, the Arabian Desert is between where Ur is at and the land of Canaan, and they couldn't cross that way, so they have to go up and over and around this desert. But on their on their way, you see here and there at the top, uh, they settled down there, and so we don't know what happened. Maybe maybe Terah got sick. Uh, more feeble and just couldn't go, or maybe he just decided he didn't he didn't want to go any further. We don't know. We don't know what happened, but uh, they settled down there for some time, and we, we don't have the details of how long that was. But there, uh, his father died, and then um, then we see in chapter twelve the Lord speaks to Abram again. And so we have there the, the call. Let's read there from chapter 12. Um, and in this, in this section, we see the promise that's made uh, to Abraham. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and, from, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him, and Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took, his, uh, took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the Lord, uh, sorry, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Where the, when they came to the land of Canaan, uh, verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah, at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And, and from there he moved to the hill country on to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So, <clears throat> there, especially in the first uh, three verses, we see this promise. And then the, uh, the last part there in verse 7 of what would be, become the Abrahamic covenant. And later, as I said in chapter 15, we will see that there the Lord ratifies this covenant with Abraham in a, in a formal way. But I want you to see there's four parts to what God promises to Abraham. First of all, He promises that He's going to make Abram a great nation. Not just a, not just a nation, but a, but a great nation. And we have to remember at this time, 
Abram doesn't have a child. He doesn't have a son. And we know that this is going to become a real test of Abram's faith. Because um, God just allows him to wait and to wait and to wait and to wait. I mean, he's made this promise. He reaffirms the promise. Um, but he doesn't give him a son. And you, we'll see how Abram tries to, to help God out. And uh, he, he, you know, he questions God about it. And God just keeps giving him the promise. And um, not just the promise of a son, but a promise of a great nation. And later he'll compare his, his descendants to the stars of the heaven and the, and the, and the, 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 the grains of the, the sand of the, the earth. And in other words, innumerable. He's going to make, make them so great. And so, uh, a great nation. And then secondly, he says that he's going to be blessed uh, by God. I will make you, I will bless you and make you a great name so that you will be a blessing. And he also indicates that those that are opposed to Abraham are going to be cursed. And those that bless Abraham are going to be blessed. And so he's, um, he's blessing Abraham to be a blessing. And that is, that is significant uh, because it's, God's not just blessing Abraham just because He you know, wants Abraham to, to be happy. <laughs> no. He's, he's blessing Abraham for a purpose. And it fits into God's ultimate purpose, um, not only in our redemption, but in ultimately in, in the glory, revelation of the glory of God. Uh, it, it's the same kind of way that God blesses us. Um, God saves us, He's called us, He's he, He's saved us, and we respond, we respond to Him in faith. And we're blessed because we're in Christ. But He does that so that we will be a blessing. We're not to selfishly receive what God gives us and think, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, content. I'm happy. Uh, thank you, Lord. No, God wants us to, 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 to feel the, you know, the weight of His blessing and to pass that on to others like us who are in need of God's grace. Think about Matthew, Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission. God tells His disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations and, uh, and to uh, bring them into the, the body, the church, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there's, they're, they're to be identified, become uh, identified with the body of believers. And then, he, and then he says that they're to teach them all things that I've, that I've given you. And so it's a, it's, it's a command that comes down to us. We see it lived out in the book of, of Acts, the apostles. And so God blesses us in the same way. Don't you see also there in that uh, promise of blessing, he says, I will make your name great. And that's, a, that's an interesting contrast to what we saw last week uh, with the people at Babel, the Tower of Babel. You remember 
one of the things, the reason they were, you know, staying together, not obeying the God by dispersing, they wanted to make a name for themselves, right? Now God tells Abraham, you obey me and I'm blessing you uh, in making your name great. And so God is, is uh, doing all of these things for Abraham and making these tremendous promises unto him. The next thing we see is the seed or the offspring of, of what God promises. He says, in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this little phrase here is really the most important part of this promise or this covenant. All the other promises really prepare the way for the fulfillment of this promise because this is in in him... And he says, in you, all the families of earth be blessed. He's really looking forward to Christ and his coming. That's how, that's how through Abraham, the whole world is going to be blessed. Or all the nations are going to be blessed. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ. That he would die for us to take away our sins so that we could be forgiven. And we, we could become children of God. Uh, if, if you'd like to turn to Galatians chapter 3. If you hold your place there in Genesis, in Galatians 3, Paul is going to pick up on this, this statement. And he's going to connect it to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the emphasis that he's making is that salvation is by faith, not by works. And Paul is he's countering the teaching that you must have works and faith. You must keep the law and believe. And Paul is teaching them, no, the law had its purpose, but it was to bring you to faith. It was to show you that you could not keep the law, to show you that you are guilty. And he's emphasizing the fact that we come to God through faith. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 and through 9, let me read. He says, Knowing then that... It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And so he's talking about here to these Gentiles and Jews, but he's saying that the people of faith are the sons of Abraham. So he's talking about a spiritual sons, not just, not just physical sons. The Jews were the, were the physical descendants of Abram. But he's saying all that of, are of faith are spiritual sons of Abram. He says, In the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. And so he we see this proclamation of, of the gospel or the good news beforehand to Abraham, saying, and he picks up this phrase, and this is what he means by the gospel. The good news. In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So that is how we are referred to as sons of Abraham, because we, like him, responded to God in faith. And this promise of blessing the nations is only possible 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. His coming. He'll go on towards the end of that chapter. Still in Galatians 3, verse 28 and 29. He says, neither is, uh, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. Uh, it's not that... Paul's not saying that you, you're no longer a Jew or you're no longer Gentile. They were still Gentiles and they were still Jews. He's not saying there's no more male and female. Yet they were still male and female. But that is not what connects them to Christ. That doesn't matter whether they're male and female. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. You're one in Christ. In other words, we've all come to God the same way. In Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so that's the argument that Paul makes there as it relates to this phrase that in Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, it's in his descendant, it's in his offspring. And it's, there's an interesting thing there that happens with this word offspring. You'll, and Paul makes will make a point of that uh, that he's he's it's not plural; it's the singular offspring. But at times, the the singular can be used in a plural way. At times, this offspring refers to the nation, to, to the whole people, all the people, the nation of Israel. But it's also worded in, in the singular so that it can refer to Christ, the one seed, because he is the ultimately the one that matters coming through the descendants of Abraham. Well, the last part is the land promise. And it's down in verse 7, after he's gotten into the land and uh, he, he uh, we see there in uh, verse... Um, Seven, as he gets uh, uh, gets down to Shechem, and uh, he says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Well, Abraham receives this promise, but he doesn't receive the land, not in his lifetime. His descendants would eventually receive the land many, many years later. But uh, they, never, they never received the full promise that God gave concerning the land. Or just the boundaries that are delineated uh, later are never fully realized as belonging to the nation of Israel. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and 30, Moses is, uh, the, the, you know, is with the, still with the people, the children of Israel. They're getting ready to go into this land of Canaan. And there in, in chapter 29 and 30 of Deuteronomy, uh, God gives a covenant, makes a covenant, makes a promise. And it, and it builds on this land promise here. And it's referred to as the land covenant or the Palestinian covenant. And, and some of the details that's, that's listed there, you realize, goes beyond 
what the children of Israel experienced in their history. And it looks beyond to a future. And most, well, I believe and many believe that it refers to the ultimate fulfillment in the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. And so this promise, it has, it has an eye upon the coming of Christ, God's redemptive plan for all the nations. But it goes beyond redemption in Christ. It goes beyond that to a greater purpose of revealing the glory of God. It's, it goes beyond the purpose so that we, as the, the children of God, will marvel at the grace of God. As we see the unfolding plan, as we can look back and see what He's done, as we enter into a, a, a millennial kingdom of God and, and see how that God has, uh, has <clears throat> fulfilled His promise to this nation, uh, and that, and that is why we believe that God still has a future plan with this nation of the of Israel. Many many believe it's been spiritually fulfilled. In other words, it's it's no longer God's plan with Israel is finished. It's is fulfilled, and the new covenant uh, doesn't have any fulfillment in the nation of Israel as such. It's what we see now is the church age. Christ comes back. That'll be that that'll be the end of what we know now and we'll have we'll live in, in eternity with the Lord. And so many see that in no all millennial. In other words, there's no millennium, there's no kingdom on earth. But as we look at the promises that God has made, we believe that those will be literally fulfilled. And that uh, the, the thousand year kingdom of Christ on earth will fulfill this and many other promises uh, as it relates to the nation of Israel. And we're going to be there together in this kingdom. And the purpose of all that, why does God go to all that trouble? Why does God go through trouble with this nation of Israel who's so rebellious and undeserving and had to be forgiven over and over and over again and brought back into the land multiple times? God is revealing His grace so we can marvel at the patience of God and the grace of God. And, the, and, and we see just a little bit of His glory. And we can praise Him and worship Him for His goodness. Well, we see in, in, in closing here, Abraham's response is worship. And God reveals His promise to him. He gets into the land. He, in two places were recorded there at Shechem and also at Bethel. He's setting up altars and making offering and worshiping God in thanksgiving for God and what God has done for him. And in the following chapters, we'll see that Abraham's faith is growing. God is leading him and guiding him, bringing him through different trials and, and situations. He's uh, withholding the fulfillment of this son that he's promised for another 25 years, he's wandering around in this land. He doesn't yet own the land. The only part of land he ever owned was uh, a cave where, he, where his family was buried. 
where he buried his wife and that he would later be buried. And the, and so he's holding on to this promise of God. He believes God. And we'll see experiences, the, he'll experience the ups and downs, but he keeps moving forward, believing that what God has promised is as sure as if he could see it. Remember the statement in Hebrews 11, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Well, ultimately, Abraham's faith would look beyond the temporal, earthly promise of a land to an eternal home with the Lord. And uh, that's described in Hebrews 11, 9 and 10 this way. It says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Well, this is the same expectation that we have, isn't it? We're looking for um, that city, that eternal dwelling place with the Lord. Uh, and though life on for us now can be up and down we can go through trials and doubts and discouragements and all of that but we can remember the promise of god and we can look we can set our eyes upon that time when we will be with the lord there's a phrase that gets repeated several times the righteous shall live by faith and paul picks up on that and uses it a couple of times. Also, the writer of Hebrews, the righteous shall live by faith. And the point is that we begin in faith and we continue in faith. Our life is one of faith. And, and as I said, the obedience is the natural result of faith in Christ. And so as we... Um, walk with the Lord as we follow Him, as we serve Him, we do so in faith, believing. We, God's given us plenty of evidences, hasn't He? Uh, it's not like a blind leap in the dark, jumping off a cliff in the dark. <laughs> no, God has given us evidence. He's worked in our hearts. He's shown us truth like He did Abraham. And based on that, based on His Word, based on the, the working of the Spirit of God in our hearts, we respond in faith, believing. And God has given us His promises in His Word as believers. And we, as we respond in faith, we, we receive the blessing of that, don't we? We, we, we receive a, um, an assurance of what He has said is true. And so our life is one of blessing so that we can be a blessing. And those blessings many times are not material blessing, but more importantly, they're spiritual blessings that God gives us that we can pass on to others, right? Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for your word that you've given us that uh, encourages us as we look back and see in the life of, of Abraham how that you worked in his life and the grace that you extended to him.
And we see their bigger picture that you have in bringing Christ to the earth uh, to, to live and die for us so that we could have life. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you afresh and anew that we might live for you, that we might walk in faith and obedience to your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.